But here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This will be a fairly familiar passage to most of you, but um, uh, maybe not often preached and maybe not often handled well. Not that I'll be much better, but uh, let, let's try. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I can love Memphis. I do love Memphis. And I can love pizza. I do love pizza, obviously. Um, I can love music. I do love music. I can love my parents. I do. I can love a friend. I can love a wife. I can love a dog. I can love God. I do love all those things. And yet, um, can one compare love for a dog with a love for God or a love for pizza with a love for a spouse. There she is. Um, those are very different things. And so we use the same word uh, to describe lots of different things at the same English word, but there's a big difference between loving different things. Further complicating things are the erogenous overtones that pop culture has pressed into the word love. Uh, when modern day culture thinks of love, um, there's, there's, there's kind of an icky film on it, you know? Um, it's, been, it's been tainted in a way. The perception uh, even that Christians have of love have been hi- has been hijacked from a bibl- biblical view, um, which has its moorings in God himself, God personally. Um, I don't think that anyone would disagree that life without love is pretty empty, would be an empty existence, wouldn't it, life without love? Um, in fact, life without love would uh, be something less than human. Because as human beings, we were made as image bearers, we were made as relational people, we were made communicatively, 
and we were made to love. God is love. There is love within the Godhead, the Trinity. Uh, There's fellowship. There's perfect unity, perfect harmony, and uh, we're supposed to reflect that. And of course, as Christians, we know that we've been created in the image of God, that God is love, and He's the wellspring of all love. Any legitimate love anywhere has God as the source. And so you can see how relevant that is, not just uh, to being a Christian, it is, but just to being human, um, that we're a loving creature. And so um, the the glory of the gospel and the way it immediately weighs into this is that um, in Christ, our ability to love has been restored to the right way. We have moved from a dominion of sin to a dominion of light, darkness to light, um, evil to righteousness, and uh, now we are able to love as we were supposed to love, um, God's style of love. All right, so uh, the big idea today, what should it be? Uh, It is this, to be Christ-like is to love like Christ. So if you're somebody who's devout and you're you're aching and you're praying and you just want to be more like Jesus. How do I be more like Jesus? What do I do to be more like Jesus? If you want to be Christ-like, you love the way Christ loved. In fact, um, it is so essential to the gospel that it is put this way by the apostle John. I'm already there, so don't turn, but it's in 1 John 4, uh, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, obviously, um, you know, Charles Manson probably loved his mom, but that's not what, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about, um, it's talking about a restored love. It's talking about a redeemed love. It's talking about a love the way God wants us to love. And it's saying it's a great qualifier as to whether or not a person is in in the household of faith or not. If we don't love, we don't know God because God is love. In fact, it goes on, uh, the Apostle John in uh, the next chapter, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, oh, no, he goes on. Yeah, yeah. He says, this is the love of God. This love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I mean, you see that life in Jesus and loving God as we're supposed to are just connected. I mean, just verse after verse. And here, John, the apostle does go on to say in the next chapter, he says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So if you have life, then you're going to love the way God would have you love. Um, not perfectly, but you're going you're gonna, to uh, eagerly desire it. Um, if you're not in the household of faith, uh, your love has not been restored to uh, its design um, as provided by Christ. All else is a disfigurement. All else is a marring. All else is a sad shadow of the good, which is the problem of sin and living in the wake of sin. All right? So again, our main idea is to be Christ-like, is to love like Christ. Let's look at our first point, which is this, the context for love. Um, here's where I think this passage uh, is oft uh, mishandled. There's a context here, okay? Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see that there's a context. He's talking about spiritual gifts. There's a lot, a lot to say about this unusual uh, verse 1. He's talking about the tongues of men, of angels, 
speaking of spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, chapter 12 is about spiritual giftings. Um, now, this, uh, <laughs> let's get one thing out of the way. This noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Uh, if I'm not speaking in love, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, now, Corinth, one of, their, one of their big commodities was bronze. And uh, it is thought and maybe overly, uh, overly uh, referenced. I don't want to push it too hard, but um, gongs and cymbals, um, probably made in Corinth. And it is uh, thought that they were used in pagan worship, pagan pageantry and stuff like that too, pagan worship services. Um, perhaps so. Uh, but whatever the case, it's a vivid illustration, a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. We have a gong in the sanctuary. In fact, we joke about the gong. Gongs are not cheap. They're expensive. Um, and the joke is every time somebody hits the gong, which is not every Sunday, it's about, you know, t- twice a year, we employ the gong. And every time we hit it, we go, good, it came down in price, you know, per hit. Um, but th- that gong, it's, it's a big thing. You know how to play a gong? I bet you don't. Yet you have to warm it up. You do. You take it. You take the mallet, and, you, and before it's time to hit the big hit, you go, and you get it going. <laughs> it's a big thing. You got to get it kind of stoked, and all of a sudden you go kapow, and it gets this this kind of bomb sound that's uh, pretty uh, pretty stirring and amazing. Well, you can imagine um, that that would not be a comforting thing in a hospital room. Um, a clanging cymbal. Uh, you're in a hard time in life, and uh, somebody comes alongside you, um, and they sound like a clanging cymbal. Um, uh, listen, we, we, are, we, we employ clanging cymbals and gongs in our worship. In the right place, they're great, but in the wrong place, they're terrible, and it doesn't matter what your motive is or your expertise or your life experience that you want to share. Love is the thing that makes what you say not be offensive. Love is what makes the thing you say uh, well-received. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a funny little story. Um, when we first, our first Sunday in the New Sanctuary, I remember it well, our first Sunday in the New Sanctuary, um, all this stuff, you know, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? All this building is happening, and, and uh, you know, it's two days beforehand, and there's still scaffolding in the sanctuary, and there's still machinery everywhere, and somehow it gets all cleaned up, and everybody shows up for the first day in the, san- in the new sanctuary. Well, you know what? If you're the worship leader, uh, it better be good, <laughs> kind of a big day. And so um, we planned for it and had this big thing, and basically I pulled out every gizmo we had in the whole church. I mean, every noisemaker, every person who could make noise, it was this big celebratory day. Uh, I remember Richard Cave built um, the drum riser, which we still use to this day, that same drum riser. Uh, we had him build it, and because I knew if I didn't get that thing up there on the first day, then it was going to be, if I tried to put a drum riser up there later, it'd be like, oh, what's this now, this big thing? So, I mean, we just threw everything up there that we had just to have a big happy party, you know? Well, here's, here was my giant mistake. My giant mistake was I thought it would be such a good thing um, to give people a, a moment of prayer. So it was like, guys, this is our first day in the new sanctuary. Let's, let's just take a moment and bow in prayer and, and uh, prepare your heart before God. And so everybody's, everybody's in prayer. Well, I had this big intro cooked up, man, where it was three, four. Started with a gong. And I never... I never worked it out in my mind that 
you had a room full of people like this in dead silence and uh, that they didn't know what was coming. <laughs> anyway, that thing goes off, and I mean, it was like rows of rows. You know, people were weeping, and there was mascara everywhere, and uh, it, it was, they were reaching for the airsick bag in front of them, and it was just, what? anyway, it was so offensive, uh, unbeknownst to me. Uh, uh, all I did was scare and annoy people. Um, listen to this. This is Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Christ. Um, we're, we're to speak the truth in love, not as a clanging symbol. Now, let's look at the, let's look at the context here, that, the gongs and symbols aside. Um, the context is important. You know that Dr. Young um, hates this passage being used at a wedding. Did you know that? Who, did, who knows that? Yeah, he hates it. You know why? Because it's not about um, the word which means friendship. It's not uh, Philadelphia. It's not brotherly love. It's not the word that means um, family affection. It's not the word that means um, uh, romantic love, eros. It's not that. It's not that. It's not about marital love. Uh, it is agape. It is a different kind of love. Here's a good definition of agape. Um, Others-centered concern expressed at great personal cost. It's a different kind of love. In fact, it's so different that that word agape was a new word. It's kind of like the word radar. Um, Radar was invented, and now we use it as a part of our vernacular, don't we? We say, oh, yeah, that guy's got a real radar. Uh, for such and such. In fact, Radar was the name of a 70s uh, TV show character uh, who, who kind of came in the room unannounced and would scare his captain. Um, so Radar was a new thing, and a new word came from that. Well, agape is a new thing. It's a new thing introduced. It's God's brand of love introduced into God's worshiping people. It's a new thing. Now, can this passage be applied to, to people who are being married? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I know that it can, but I think it's probably not uh, the best choice to stick in a wedding for a couple different reasons. It's not an accurate depiction of the passage because it's in the context of uh, spiritual gifts, uh, and it, so it doesn't uh, uh, capture the, the, the text's uh, intended meaning, right? But then the other thing, too, is I think it, um, it cheapens the description of divine love. When you go, oh, this man and this woman, and here's a lesson on love, it, it, I think it cheapens, I, I think it cheapens the, the, the lesson of divine love. It's not that romantic love isn't wonderful. It's not that it doesn't apply to married people, but it's just not the gospel brand of love in discussion here. It is something profoundly um, in the person of God. Uh, we want an accurate representation of God um, expressed uh, in, the, the, in the love of Jesus, which is the laying down of his life. All right, further defining this context is this. In verse 1, it says, uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, um, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Um, that, that's all very otherworldly sounding, tongues of men and of angels. It's kind of strange. It, it gets even stranger in verse 2. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge um, and so on. That's very grand talk, uh, faith to move a mountain. 
very grand talk. Um, if I deliver up my body to be burned, martyred, but have not love, it's worth nothing. Um, very grand speak here. Um, uh, that is the context. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Um, chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Paul, who's writing this, is talking about spiritual gifts. Now, we're not going we're, we're to um, uh, tear that all apart and get, get tangled up in it right now. But um, the, the point is this. Spiritual gifts are sublime. Spiritual gifts are otherworldly. You know, um, preaching is a spiritual gift. That's why a lot of times guys who give very wonderful business talks, it doesn't transfer into preaching automatically uh, because preaching is a spiritual gift. God can give it and he can take it away. Teaching God's word is a spiritual gift. Evangelism is a spiritual gift. There are all kinds of spiritual gifts. And what I'm saying to you is it is a partaking of the divine. It is God saying here, I want you to use this for my glory, and I'm going to work through you. It's a profound thing. And what Paul is saying is, in the context of these deep, profound things, spiritual, otherworldly giftings, even those things without love are worthless. That's the point. It's not, oh, she loves him and he loves her, and isn't it just beautiful? It's not just that. It is in the context of the most profound spiritual divine uh, giftings, um, without love, um, you lose the startling mark of a Christian. Uh, Even Jesus tells his disciples in the upper discourse in John 13, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you grew up in the 70s, you remember, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. Anybody remember that song? Oh, look at all the old people. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. It was like the earliest uh, guitar, you know, Christian songs. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. (laughs) Well, that's true. Um, There's something strange. There's something compelling. Yeah, Christians can be corny looking in the eyes of the world and a little prudish in the eyes of the world and very cuckoo in the eyes of the world, some of the wacky stuff the Christians believe. But, you know, the thing that can't be uh, batted away is, dang, those people love in a very strange way. Uh, They love each other in a very strange way. They, They look at the world in a very strange way, a loving way. Um, and so on. All right, so how does this apply to your life? Here's, here's, here's how it does. There's a big and eternal difference between being the nicest person you could possibly be um, and loving with a gospel-fueled, compassionate, uh, divinely manufactured love, something that comes from afar, something that comes from outside you that's given you by God. That's what this is talking about. Um, If you are a born-again believer, you should ask yourself, am I loving properly? How about this uh, for an application? How do I do it? How do I love properly? How do I love as God loves? 
Um, yes, it takes into consideration uh, that God outpours his grace and gives us his love. It is true. But as a practical guide, here's what I could suggest to you. Ask yourself many times and in many situations throughout the course of this next week, am I loving as Christ loves? That's a good thing to say. Am I loving as Christ? That doesn't discount God's work in you. It doesn't discount the Holy Spirit's sanctification of you. But it is a good check to say, in this situation, am I loving as Christ loves? By the way, am I loving as Christ loved me and loves me? So when you come into that relational situation or you're in a fight with your spouse or you're in difficult traffic or you're dealing with some poor nincompoop at the checkout line, and it's driving you crazy. Well, love is patient. You know, one of the reasons it is is uh, it's, it's otherworldly. Ask yourself, am I loving uh, as Christ loves me? It's the hallmark of every true believer, and it's a gauge to our resembling Jesus as per our point. Um, hey, if I have prophetic powers, prophecy, wow. Uh, if I understand mysteries, knowledge, wow, that's amazing. Um, if I have faith to move mountains, wow. If I've martyrdom, if I give up my body to be burned, martyrdom. If I even lay down my life, the grandness of these things. But I don't have love, it's worthless. Those are profound things, but without uh, the most superlative thing of all, it's worth nothing. All right, our next point. There is and isn't of love. And here's where we'll, we'll park Uh, for the majority of our time. There are 15 things listed here, and each casts its own kind of hue um, of of wisdom. So let's look at it. Love is patient. Now, that word patient, um, there's a fancy theological word for it that shows up in some of your uh, Bible translations. Instead of patient, you may have long-suffering. God suffers long. Um, In fact, uh, yeah, literally, it means long-burning. So, uh, uh, patience, long-suffering can go a real, 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 real long time uh, before the Fred Flintstone whistle goes off and, you know, you, your head explodes. Um, love is patient. Well, you know, um, let me ask you this question. With whom is God patient? With whom? With us. Is he patient with uh, the angels? No. They don't try him. Is he patient with the fallen angels? No, he's judged them. Is he patient with the hippopotami? No, they obey. Is he patient with the moon? No, it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, How about shellfish? Is he patient with shellfish? No, but he's patient with us. We're it. And I'm telling you, all of heaven looks at this and goes, oh my goodness, What an outpouring of grace that God's patient with these little rebels on this little speck out in another big speck. It's amazing. Should not your love then be a hallmark of the love with which you've been loved? Should you not be patient if God burns long with you? You should. How about this? Um, I said you should. We should. Uh, It says love is patient and kind. Uh, that word kind, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Paul hooks patience and kindness together in more than one place here, but also in Romans 2 verse 4, it says, do you presume upon the riches of God's kindness 
and forbearance and patience. You know, those are, those are kissing cousins. They're hooked together. How about in the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22, uh, nine of them. The fruit of the Spirit is um, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But do you notice that patience and kindness are right next to each other? Um, kindness is God's well-intentioned movement on our behalf. That's what his kindness is. It is intimate. It is tender. God's kindness toward us is not scary. Um, Some of you are scary. You know, dad might fly off the handle. You never know when he might like lose his temper and just kind of fly off the handle. That is not kind. Uh, When there's a climate of scary, you're not kind. Um, How about this? Verse 4, again, uh, love does not envy. Love rejoices to see blessings bestowed upon other people. Somebody else wins the lottery, you don't go, oh, why can't I win the lottery? You go, wow, you won the lottery? Wow, good for you. Love rejoices. It doesn't, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't wish that someone could be diminished so that we could be this way, or it doesn't, it doesn't wish that we could take from them and, and have for ourselves. Love does not envy. It doesn't do that. It, it has very much to do with contentment, and a rejoicing to see God's blessings poured out on others. Um, uh, application, uh, look at your own blessings. Whatever your station, they are ample, believe me. That your heart is even thumping is a huge blessing. It's a gift from God. How about this, verse 4? Uh, love does not envy. It doesn't boast. That's really the flip side of envy. You know, envy goes, I wish I had this thing. Boasting goes, I got this thing. Love does, love does neither. Love doesn't need to boast. Love doesn't need to say, hey, look at me. Hey, look what I can do. Uh, look what I possess. Um, it, it dismisses God from your story uh, and station in life. Uh, here's from 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion are people made great and given strength. If you forget that, you are unwise. Uh, but remember where we are. Um, it's also in opposition to love. Um, envy, boasting is in opposition to love. Isn't it interesting that, that, that those things have a context? Love is the opposite. Um, how about this? Verse 4. Uh, love's not arrogant. Um, for the reasons we just mentioned, God um, opposes the proud. The scriptures say that all over the place. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Um, Love is also not rude, verse 5. Coarseness has very little to do uh, with uh, biblical divine love. How about this, verse 5? It does not insist on its own way. Um, Can you, in humility, bend? That's not to say that you shouldn't have a plan. Uh, That's not to say, listen, I'm in church work. Uh, Somebody's got to have a plan. Uh, You got to point in some direction, and you got to go in some direction. But um, can you bend? Can you listen? Uh, Can you adapt? Can you change? Can you take a suggestion? Um, uh, Love does not insist on its own way. Uh, How about this also in verse 5? It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Um, Let me ask you this. Um, Have you ever known anyone who who could cast a uh, kind of a poison 
cloud over an entire event or household, family, work situation. You're in a thing, everybody's trying to collaborate and everybody's trying to weigh in, but somebody uses mood to control it. Well, that is not love, that is sin. Um, you know, we have two drummers in here right now, but back when I was at the, the, the Deltones, um, we, <laughs> our drummer back then was, he, he would get angry at the band. I mean, we played three one-hour sets with no break in between songs. So it, it wasn't like, hey, how you guys doing tonight? Uh, let's waste a little time. Huh? It was three one-hour sets. I used to be in a sleazy lounge band uh, back in the day, before I became legit. Um, and... Uh, and the drummer, we, so three one-hour sets, and that drummer, when he'd get mad at the band, he would slow the tempo all night. You know, so you're going, ain't too proud to beg, sweet darling, superstition, I mean, it would just rob the energy, and he would just punish the band, punish. We'd turn around and be like, Bobby, pick it up. You'd be like, just controlling it. That's irritable and resentful. <coughs> that, is, that is ruling by the mood you throw over the thing. It, it, is, it is basically weaponizing your mood. It is sin. Uh, verse 6, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Don't you love that comparison? doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing. You would think it would say it rejoices in right doing. It says it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, Rejoices in the truth. Uh, we're, we're a people who love truth. Truth and love are close cousins. We're even supposed to speak the truth in love. Um, verse 7 goes on to say that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's wrap it up this way uh, to apply it. One of the things when I did college ministry years ago, and I've told you this before, I know, but you've probably forgotten. Uh, I would. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I would tell him, Tammy will back me up on this. I told him over and over and over again. I, I said, you will make a giant step in your personal maturity when you realize your parents are flawed. When you realize your parents are scared. When you realize your parents have struggles. When you realize your parents are ashamed by their sin and uh, sometimes have disappointment and uh, ha- have to slug it out and that life is hard. You will, you will cross a line of great maturity when you realize your parents are flawed. And I really mean that because, you know, people will hang on to that till they're 47. Mother, I can't believe she's flawed. I mean, my goodness, I, you know, I look back on pictures of my parents when I was in college, and I'm like, look at those two young pups. They're a lot younger than I am right now. And you, I can see it in their faces. They're scared to death. They got this wild son they don't know what to do with. It's horrible. Um, here's another thing. You know, I went to this MLK and W thing downtown a couple weeks ago, MLK 50. I was, I've been calling it MLK and W because it's got a ring to it. Um, but, you know, one of the things that... I personally wish were preached is this message. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw this or not, but th- this was a story that just really moved me. I've thought about it over and over and over again. 
Um, there was this guy who was arrested um, unjustly for rape and robbery, and he was sentenced to jail, and he spent 31 years in jail, and he didn't do it. Did you all read about that? This is about a month ago. It's an African-American guy. He spent 31 years in jail, and what made the news was his name was finally exonerated, and they ordered him a million dollars. And I remember seeing that, and it made me mad because I was like, how about $31 million? A million dollars? How about this? Did you know that when they let him out of jail, they gave him $75? Said, all right, well, you're free to go. And uh, his pastor is the one going, dude, your name's still not cleared, and you still haven't been given any remuneration for for your time? And his pastor's the one who, who got that all stimulated. And the judge, when the judge said, hey, we're going to give you a million dollars, the judge was deeply moved and said, I'm so sorry that that's the maximum. If we could give you more, we'd give you more. But it's the maximum by law, so a million dollars it is. Well, they asked this guy what he thought about all that. And uh, he had become a Christian in jail. And, you know, DNA evidence proved it wasn't him and all that stuff. And he's a, he, he was innocent that whole time, served 31 years in jail. And they said, are you, are you, how do you feel about it? Are you upset about it? Are you embittered about it? And he said, no, no, no. Years ago, God took the anger out of my heart. And that is just so moving to me. That, that God does this mysterious thing and, and unexpectedly takes, takes the anger out of the heart. Well, what is that but an infusion, a gifting of divine love? I, I wish that had been preached more at the MLK 50 uh, thing, um, that God takes the anger out of our heart eventually. We have to listen to each other. We have to dialogue we have to realize why there's hurt. We have to realize if there's uh, any uh, uh, discrepancy, inconsistency, anything lacking for a, a platform for success. I agree with all that stuff. But at some point, love does what only love can do. I, I, just, I wish that were preached um, a little more readily or at all. Um, all right, our last point the supremacy of love. I know we're almost out of time, but notice again the context. Um, Verse 8 says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So again, you can see in the context of spiritual gifts, um, uh, Paul is writing, but look at the end. Verse. Let's bring it to the apex. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, is that important? You betcha. Hope, is that uh, a reality in Jesus Christ? Of course. If we didn't believe in a resurrected Lord, we would have no hope. I mean, these are essential things to, to our belief system. But without love, even those things are worthless. What a, what a context. It's not just, oh, how cute, man, woman, <laughs> sweet. It's not, it's not romanticized. It's taking the profundity of God's workings and giftings And it's saying, even those things without love are worthless. That is a profound point, friend. Um, All right, last thing is this. You know, uh, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Well, everybody loves that melody. Um, But do you know that the words are under criticism some of the times? Did you know that? Um, 
Uh, ocean depth of happy rest, thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. And people go, oh, well, does that communicate the gospel precisely enough? I mean, because a non-Christian could hear that at some concert at some uh, drunken Episcopal church somewhere and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I love people. I, I love pizza. I love everything, you know? Sure. Does it, does, it, does it cloud the gospel? I think not. I mean, the apostle Paul wouldn't agree with it, and the apostle John wouldn't agree with it. If you live in love, then you belong to God. And we're not talking about uh, the, the earth's marred love. We're talking about divine love, which is one of the greatest attractions of the gospel, the way we love uh, with a love that is Christ's, the way we love with a love that is supernatural, uh, the way we love uh, one another with a love that is spirit-filled uh, filled and enabled. So ask yourself, as a send-out here, ask yourself many times and in many situations this week, am I loving as Christ has loved me and loves me? In this situation, in this scenario, in this relationship, um, am I loving the way Christ loved me and loves me? Uh, ask yourself that, because remember, to be Christ-like is to love like Christ. Let us pray. Father, um, to say that we're not good at love uh, in our own power is, <laughs> is a, an eternal understatement. Um, we cannot love the way you love. We are unable uh, not to sin aside from the saving work of Jesus Christ. But uh, having been brought into the household of faith, having been born anew, having been brought to your banquet table, having been made sons and daughters, having been uh, given the Holy Ghost who indwells us, um, a love that is Christ-like is ours indeed. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we um, we would rejoice in this peculiar and wonderful activity, um, demonstrating the love of Christ to one another and to a watching world, a world that is full of hurt, need of repair, um, and uh, a a world we long to see give you glory. Help us do it, Lord. Help us lead. Help us uh, love well. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.